Hello everyone. Today's reading is taken from John chapter 15 verses 1 to 17. Jesus the true vine and it's read from New Living Translation. I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for, using my name. This is my commandment. Love each other. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you again this morning. Um, thank you, Tristan, for reading, and Brona for leading, and for the guys uh, leading us in worship. It's, um, it's a beautiful passage that we're looking at this morning. I'm going to jump straight in to John chapter 15, looking at um, the vine and the fruit of the vine. I've got my grapes here with me for props, um, which we might refer to later, just in case you thought I was getting overly nutritious during lockdown. Anyway, this is really a beautiful passage. Probably, big statement here, probably my favorite passage in the Bible, and I know probably for many others of, as well. It's a picture of the Father and Jesus and wor them working together uh, and who we are becoming in them. It's such a well-known and recited passage, John 15, and there's so much depth and richness in it that, to be honest, there's a full sermon series, but I'm going to try and not do that today and focus over the next 25 minutes or so on a number of things that I think could be helpful for us in this season that we're living through. Um, as I like to do, though, just to set a little bit of context for you, because I think it helps us understand the layers of richness that are within the text, um, first and foremost, remember I keep referring to the prologue in uh, the Gospel of John, which is chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. And they really set the scene 
for how the rest of the gospel is going to unfold. In the two things that I've been saying that the prologue really indicates to us are the abundant meaning that there is in Jesus and the abundant love that there is in Jesus and how he was with God from the very beginning with the Father. And the rest of the gospel then is basically inviting us into this place of ultimate and abundant meaning, purpose, and ultimate uh, and abundant love. And I find it really helpful actually to think about this as you work through the gospel of John because then it feels like each um, parable or each story or each interaction of Jesus with someone else or each piece of teaching of Jesus is like another wave of meaning, another wave of love coming over us, washing over us chapter after chapter. We become aware of this in Jesus' life. In chapter 2, you have the water and the wine. In chapter 4, you have the woman at the well. In chapter 5, you have the feeding of the 6, I think, the feeding of the 5,000. We have in chapter 8, his interaction with the woman caught in the act of adultery. In chapter 13, which Debbie brought us a few weeks ago, you have Jesus washing at the feet of the disciples. We see wave after wave of the love of God inviting people into relationship with him. And then also in his teaching, he's challenging old paradigms. He's challenging ways of thinking. He's challenging religious constructs and them and us categories to draw people into deeper meaning, deeper uh, purpose, deeper humanity. And those waves are building and building as we get to the end of Jesus's life, which we said last week we explained were in the farewell discourses of Jesus. It's almost like the waves are getting bigger and bigger. It's, a, it's like a bigger swell of a wave. Um, as we come to John 15, it's going to feel like I'm repeating some stuff maybe from the last few weeks. But that's only because I think that's what John is intending through his gospel, to build this love and meaning in an intense way as we move towards the passion of Jesus when he gives his life for us. So if it hasn't already been obvious what Jesus' purpose on earth is and the deep longing of Jesus' heart and the heart of the Father through Jesus, then we're going to see that even more explicit now in John chapter 15 as Jesus basically lays bare his heart to his disciples and through the words that we have to the whole world. The other little bit of context that's helpful before we jump in is the wider biblical concept of a vine or trees in the Bible. The metaphor that's used is the, the Jesus being the vine and we being the branches. And the picture of a vine was already established in the mindset of a first century Israelite because throughout the Old Testament, Israel had been referred to as a vine, a vine that had been transplanted all those years ago out of Egypt, rescued and planted in the wilderness or in a vineyard in order to produce fruit. You can read a little bit about that in Psalm 80 and as well as other parts of the Old Testament. And that vine had been ravished by wild animals and needed protected and reestablishing, and that's what God had done for his people, the Israelites. But the Old Testament is the story of Israel's basic disobedience to what God had called them to be as his people. And so the vine hadn't produced the kind of fruit that God had wanted it to. It actually says in Isaiah that they produced wild grapes, things that didn't look like the character and the holiness of the God who had saved them. And so not unlike the themes that we've looked at already in John, like the, the wine and the river and the shepherd and the bread, Jesus is coming to say, 
I am the fulfillment of all of these metaphors. Jesus is the new Israel embodied in a person. He is coming to fulfill the story. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples when he says, I am the vine, he's saying, I am not separate to your story. I'm from within inside your story, but I'm coming to fulfill the story of Israel. And the purposes of God are now resting and coming through him. Like he did with Israel, Jesus wants to reveal God's heart to the world through himself and through those who will abide in him, who are engrafted into him, as we'll come to look at. This way is through abiding. And so with that context in mind, as Jesus opens up his heart to abundant meaning and love, we see here in John 15, three things that I think can really help us to understand what Jesus is getting at here. Three Ps. There's a paradigm to understand, there's a process to understand, and there's a point to really get, okay? So the first one is the paradigm. Now, when I talk about a paradigm, we basically mean, because it starts with P and the other two start with P, it was just helpful to use that word. But what we really want to understand and think about when I use that word is the framework for the passage. What are the overarching themes and principles that hold this text together, okay? And the paradigm for John 15, I believe, is friendship and fruitfulness, okay? The paradigm is friendship and fruitfulness. Right throughout this passage, through the metaphor of the vine and the language of friendship, which is quite clear in this passage, Jesus is revealing the core themes of this whole gospel. There it is again. Abundant love, friendship, and abundant meaning, fruitfulness. He wants us to know that we exist to be in deep friendship with him. This is our ultimate purpose. And so through that friendship, we will be fruitful by reproducing the kind of character traits that look like God himself. So you could say in some ways that John chapter 15 is a microcosm of the whole gospel of John. It's there in a nutshell what he's trying to say in the whole thing. But you could actually say that it's a microcosm, John 15, of the whole story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And if you widen that lens right out, you'd start to see that you could hold the Bible together in that same paradigm of friendship and fruitfulness. We've been created, Genesis tells us, to be in communion, deep friendship, at rest in the love and the communion of the Father. And that not only would we be in friendship, but those words that Adam was commissioned with to be fruitful and multiply, that we would be fruitful in stewarding God's presence throughout the earth. In Revelation, we read about how we're going to be in deep friendship and intimate communion with Jesus again. We'll see him and be like him and be one with him. And we're told that we will live in a city where the trees of the, uh, sorry, where the leaves of the tree in that city will be healing for the nations. There will be a fruitfulness as we steward God's presence. I don't think we're going to just sit and sing all day in heaven. We're going to be part of reigning with Jesus and being fruitful. And so John 15 is right at the center of the big story. And if you wanted to go a little bit further in your study of that, you could think about the fact as well that in Genesis, there's a tree of life in a garden. In Revelation, there's a tree in a city. And right here in the middle of John, we have this tree as well, all pointing to God as the sustenance and the source of life itself. And so in, these past, in this passage in John 15, what we see right through the, all the words 
is the original design of God for friendship with mankind and for fruitfulness in our lives. Verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. What's apart from me? Apart from me is friendship. If you're not in friendship with Jesus, then you're not going to do anything. You're not going to be fruitful in the ways of God and the things of the kingdom and um, in, in, in your original design and contribution to the world. And so Jesus, as we've come to realize, is revealing the Father to us. He's making it plain to us, which he's been trying to do throughout the whole gospel, that this is who God is. God desires our deep and intimate friendship. He wants to know us like nobody else does, and he wants us to flow from that in partnership with him. So it's no surprise at the very start of the passage then that Jesus presents to us the Father as the gardener. Uh, interesting in this passage that Jesus and the Father are depicted together. Remember last week in John chapter 14, we talked about how Jesus said, I've come to reveal the Father to you, and I'm going back to the place, that place with the Father to prepare somewhere for you. And the disciples still really weren't that sure if Jesus really was coming from the Father. Was he really God? And Jesus is trying to emphasize, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And now he's even more explicitly in this picture showing, he's not just alluding to the Father somewhere or talking about the Father and his relationship with him. He's showing them us in this picture, Jesus and the Father together. Jesus says, I am the vine and my Father is the vine dresser or the gardener. It's a beautiful picture of the Father ensuring that this vine, the Father loves the vine. The Father loves the Son. And He loves the branches on it. And the Father, like a careful, loving, tender gardener, is ensuring that these branches are grafted into the vine and tended to with care and are flourishing and healthy and able to produce fruit. We come to learn through this passage that this gardener who who is the father, is a really good father. He cares about his children. He cares about the plants in his garden, particularly this one. This is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, as Bruna has already said. Uh, and we remember today um, fathers, and we remember on this Father Day, Father's Day that we have a perfect, good, heavenly father in heaven who is always looking out for the best for his kids. He, he wants them to mature in sonship and in daughterhood in the men and women who have his laws written on their hearts that actually look like him. He wants us to be fruitful and to contribute to the world, to, to grow up into who he is. But he never wants us to grow up and contribute outside of the relational context. He doesn't want us to become great outside of relationship with him. Jesus is revealing the heart of the Father for our growth and for our involvement in his work in the days in which we live. And he's showing us this really, really explicitly and obviously when he says in verse 15, one of the best verses I believe in the Bible, I no longer call you servants, for a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from the Father, I have made known to you. 
I can still kind of remember the time when I read that verse. And even though I've been brought up in the church for the first time, it kind of started to make sense that God just didn't love me and Jesus just didn't die for me because he had to or something. But God likes me. He wants a friendship with me. He wants to reveal his love for me. He wants to invite me into deep friendship and communion. Jesus wants to bring us into the inside of the relationship that the Father and Son enjoy. We don't, he doesn't want to just save us and then we spectate at how loving the Father and the Son are. He wants to bring us into the inside of that level of friendship. And we are invited into that and then we become fruitful as we reproduce that. Any good father wants to do that, don't they? Any good father wants to see their kids develop in friendship with them in order to reproduce the, fa- the values of the father. They don't want their kids just to be servants. I, I don't know if you've ever heard those people with that line. They'll say something like, you know, I, my dad was a really good man, but I never really knew him. Yeah. Lots of people testify to that kind of a relationship. And it's kind of tinged with sadness, isn't it? Because despite all the good that they may have done, or even some of the good principled parenting they may have done, to never have really got to know them always feels like there's something missing. And, you know, the reality is all of us want friendship with our, with our dad. We want to move beyond this being just an authoritarian, kind of rule-keeping, cold-hearted kind of relationship that never really gets that close. But we actually want a degree of friendship where we can become like the people that help care and shape who we are. And I know that that's an example that's lots of complexities with it due to fallowlessness in our world today and lots of not maybe good examples of that. And, and so we want to be sensitive to that today. But, you know, we can know that. We can know, we can know that in the fact we can be healed of those wounds and be invited into maybe what we've never known which is friendship with our heavenly father. Because a good father wants you to become their friend, wants to be able to trust you with their inheritance, with their purpose to continue and to reproduce who they were. I'm so blessed and grateful today for my own dad, who is an amazing example of that. And I'm preaching out of that place today where this has been a lived experience in the natural for me, that has helped point me towards the experience that I can have with my heavenly father. And so I can say happy Father's Day to my dad today and be, be uh, honoring of that because it's helped to point me to a heavenly father because this is where Jesus came from. Remember in the prologue, Jesus who was in the womb or the bosom of the father, right at the start of John 1, it tells us this, right? He was in the, in the bosom of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is where he is bringing us. Come inside on this relationship. I love in Matthew chapter 11, the message version, it puts it like this, chapter 11, verse 27. It says, Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. This Father, sorry, the Father has given me all these things to do and say, This is a unique father-son operation coming out of father-son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor does nor the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. 
It's incredible. Father, Son, intimacies and knowledge that Jesus is willing to unfold to us in order that we might know that friendship. And the final point on this first point um, of the paradigm being friendship and fruitfulness is that Jesus in the passage goes further and defines what friendship and fruitfulness practically looks like. Friendship looks like sacrifice, a giving of oneself for the other. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. This is not some esoteric, wafty, woolly kind of love. This is, this is hard-earned, covenantal love that comes through sacrifice and laying down of one's life. And fruitfulness practically looks like obedience. And obedience will result in love for one another. John 10, running into John 17, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Verse 17, this is my command, love one another. The two are so interlinked, aren't they? Friendship and fruitfulness. Our friendship will look like sacrificial love, and our fruitfulness, our love for one another, will look like sacrifice. So if the paradigm for this passage is friendship and fruitfulness, what is the process? There's a process in order for us to live more fully into that. The process is abiding and pruning. So the paradigm, the big picture here is friendship and fruitfulness. The process is abiding and pruning. And uh, this is what the text goes on to explain. If we want to cultivate this familiar friendship with Jesus and a sense of fruitfulness, we have to enter into a process of abiding in Christ, of remaining in him. We have to practice the art. We have to develop the art of a life of abiding in Jesus. It's something that we kind of art, artfully practice and develop in our lives till we become better at it, remaining in Jesus. We need to cultivate a practiced lifestyle. We have to get practical and shift our schedules and orientate our lives around the presence of Jesus. It costs something. The word abiding is mentioned, I've said this, I think, before. It's mentioned loads of times in the Gospel of John. And it's the word menin, and it's used 63 times, the word abiding, in the Gospel of John itself, and it's used eight times in the first eight verses of John chapter 15. And it remains to remain, or to dwell, or to sojourn, or to tarry in. And it taps into a theme of dwelling, and God dwelling with us again runs through the whole Bible. Jesus, who was in the womb of the Father, came to tabernacle, dwell on the earth, and he, he asked his disciples to be with him. And when we get to John 15, we're seeing the swelling of this wave again because in, in a very intense way, Jesus is saying, and in a very obvious metaphor, Jesus is saying, I want you to remain in me. There, a branch is no good unless it is connected to the vine, and he wants us to dwell with him. We see the fullness of the withness of what Jesus desires for us, and this is our primary calling, to be with Jesus, to, to be intimately entwined and grafted with him. It speaks of a, of a oneness. Uh, sometimes when I think about this passage, I think about the, the kind of opposite. What, what would it look like to... Um, 
to not have this kind of relationship? Or what did my relationship with Jesus sometimes look like? And when I was a boy, I, I, uh, I loved all kinds of sports, but my dad got me a dartboard one time. And uh, I really liked the dartboard in my room. And I was, uh, my mom had also got me a nice kind of um, properly handmade desk at the time. And while I was practicing, I was still learning how to get better. A few times it hit the wire, bounced out, and made all sorts of marks all over the brand new desk that my mom had made me out of mahogany wood. And so um, there was a particular time when the dartboard was replaced with the very uh, poor substitute of a Velcro dartboard. I don't know if you ever saw those, but maybe some of the guys when they were younger, it's like a thing you used to throw a dartboard up onto this kind of, with, with Velcro on the bottom of it, not the actual proper dart, and hopefully it would stick to it. And um, it, it wasn't much fun at all, to be honest, right? But what, what I used to remember about it was that it, the, the, the darts, the Velcro darts would hang there for a while and then you'd come back in and they'd just be on the ground. The, the stickiness of them had kind of worn off. And, uh, and sometimes I think my relationship with Jesus over the years has been a bit more like that kind of Velcro connection than it has the very natural process of a, of a branch being engrafted into a vine. It's not a superficial sellotape Velcro superficial connection it's, it's a oneness connection. The closest thing, I suppose, in the natural we get to it is the one fleshness of a man and a woman in marriage and in that physical, intimate act. And it speaks to us of, in a spiritual sense, the oneness that Jesus wants with us. The thing about it is, if you were to ask the question, where does a vine stop and a branch end? Or where does where, where is the connection really happening? It's really hard to define that because one kind of flows into the other. They are distinct. The vine is distinct from the branch in the same way that we're distinct from Jesus. But yet, even in that distinction, there's a oneness. They flow into one another. And actually, it's really difficult to break a branch off clean from a, from a vine or from the trunk of a tree because of that intimate and intricate entwining that happens between um, a branch and a vine. And I'm sure that's part of the reason why Jesus chose this message and so some, uh, this metaphor. And so sometimes why, uh, this is why I meditate on John 15. This is why I often start my day with just becoming aware of deep inside my own spirit, the center of who I am, the Holy Spirit is entwining himself with who I am. And so I live my day out of a flowing in, in and out of relationship with God. Hopefully not in and out, hopefully more in. <laughs> but I have to keep reminding myself, centering myself in and around this intimate relationship I have with Jesus. And along with that abiding then comes the pruning. Pruning is part of the process of cultivating this friendship with Jesus. We come to realize that if we're going to abide in Jesus, we will be pruned. Pruning is part of abiding. We sometimes see identify pruning with like bad behavior, but we need to actually realize that pruning is a loving act. It's part of being entwined into the branch in the first place. I think it's helpful to think about a kind of parenting metaphor alongside this to help us understand. Um, 
It's perfectly natural for us to think of a loving parent wanting to nurture and correct and even discipline their child in order that it might grow up to flourish and become all it's created to be. How much more a perfect heavenly father does would he want to do that with us? The Bible talks in Hebrews to think about how God disciplines the ones that he loves. Uh, He doesn't do that necessarily because um, he gets some kind of like perverse kick out of disciplining us, like using authority in a way that is just uh, like building up his ego or something. No, not at all. That's all human perversions of our understanding of authority. Actually, what uh, this passage speaks to us is the word for prune in verse 2 is very similar to the word clean in verse 3. So it says in verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it would bear even more fruit you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So it's because we are already clean, that because of the blood of Jesus, we're in the family of God, that God is doing this work of pruning. It's because we're part of who he is already that he wants us to continue to grow up into who he has called us to be. You see, plants are pruned to stop wasting energy growing in the wrong direction, Right? And how often do we, do we do that? Sometimes plants grow in on themselves. Sometimes we do that. We become a little bit self-centered, inward focused, just myopic in our vision about me and our own world. Sometimes plants get tangled up in too much stuff. Anyone ever done that? <laughs> Sometimes we, it seems plants are growing in their own directions. Everyone often one yourself. Sometimes it seems that plants are growing away from the light. Ever done that? Just some dark secrets and tunnels that we found ourselves going down. And so the gardener comes in all of these situations and he, he prunes. He, vines can produce superfluous growth. Like they can create foliage with an appearance of fruit, but actually like Jesus had to with another tree, go and look at, he couldn't find any fruit. They need to be focused on the light and pruned in order to produce good fruit, good grapes, good wine, whatever where you want to take that. The alternative to being pruned is actually to be cut off. Either way, we're going to get cut because the reality is we're bent out of shape. Sin has bent us in the wrong directions and we need work. But pruning is a loving discipline. My, my mom is a keen gardener. I'm really not, and in some ways, probably not um, uh, that um, living in enough authority to really be able to speak about gardening. But my mom ha- has, and she used to kind of make us when we were kids help. Um, but every now and again, um, she would do a lot of pruning or look some trees cut back. And so helping my dad cut sticks and stuff, he and I would have come along. He would have had the chainsaw. And we never had the patience that my mom had when it came to pruning. So when she was looking to cut stuff back, we were just like, my dad would like, you know, like pull the, 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 pull the trigger on the chainsaw. And, um, and we would just be ready to cut something. And my mom would be like, no, 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 don't cut there because you'll, you'll damage it or you'll not be able to produce enough fruit from this 
if you cut it at the wrong place. And she tenderly and specifically and intimately handled the plants and handled the branches in order to cut things back so that more growth could come. It was, it's, not a, it's not a bish bash job. It's a tender, loving, precise job. And that's the way the Father handles us. And I think that's the way the Father has wanted to handle some of us during this time. Like, like, no one was ever punished into purity. Hear me that. No one was ever punished into purity. We are loved into wholeness. The gardener is never closer to us than when he is pruning us. And so I know for some of us this feels sore at the moment. But the gardener is never closer than when he's holding you tenderly in his hand and cutting some stuff back. Because here's what I want to offer you today. What if he is pruning us so that, he, that we can fully handle what he has for us in the future? What if it feels sore now because he's preparing you for something that you never thought that you could actually ever handle, but it's going to be beautiful and beyond what you could dream of? God, like the Father, never loses sight. Like a good father, he never loses sight of who we're becoming and who he's calling us to be. He, he fathers us, but he doesn't father us in ways that protect us from becoming the best that we can be. The Father doesn't coddle us. It's not some overprotective mother figure that kind of hinders our growth. This is a Father who will allow some stuff to go on, not because he gets any joy out of it, but because he's using that in order for us to become the kind of people that can carry his presence to a broken world and reveal and multiply the essence of who he is in the dark and broken places of the world. He believes that we were created for the goodness that he designed us with, and he wants us to walk into that. And so for maximum fruitfulness, extensive pruning is needed, right? For maximum fruitfulness, extensive pruning is needed. And I know some of you are feeling that at this time, but the Father looks at you today and he says, I know you can do this. I know you can do this. I am with you. I am holding you. It may not feel like this, but I am with you. Just hold on, hang in there, and wait for the fruit that is about to come. You know, some of the translations talk about the gardener as the vine dresser. And I love this because if you think of the vine as the bridegroom, Jesus is adorning the vine and the branches. Jesus is the, or, sorry, the father is the vine dresser, dressing the vine, adorning his bridegroom, the branches, with holiness in order that there can be a oneness, a beautiful oneness a wedding, a connection, a depth of intimacy and relationship between the bridegroom and the bride. The Father is dressing us up in the beauty of His holiness. And so practically, if you want to commit to this process of abiding and pruning, it's going to mean getting practical. It's going to mean building time into your life, looking at your diary, looking at your schedule, and having those moments where you learn how to abide in Jesus. To keep the metaphor of a vine in play, you could think of a, a trellis that also has to hold up a vine so growth goes in the right direction. Remember, you see, the branch doesn't actually have to do an awful lot of work. It just needs to remain in the vine. And in remaining in the vine, it will bear fruit. And this is what I think the gift redemptively of the time that we've been given through COVID is to us, to reset our hearts and minds, to reorder our priorities, 
to recenter our hearts, to reset our rhythms and practices, not just in terms of spiritual knowledge, but in our emotional, spiritual health, that the Lord would discipline us gently in these moments to create within us the fruitfulness that he longs for us to show. And finally, just a few words on if the paradigm is friendship and fruitfulness and the process to get there is abiding and pruning, what's the point? Well, here's the great news. The point is joy. Joy, joy, more joy. Verse 11, I have told you this, Jesus said, so that your joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus has said, I'm telling you this so that you can be whole and that you can know joy. You can come into a place of utter delight. No matter how difficult life has been, no matter where you've been or what you've done, how sore the pruning process has been, you will have joy. I want to prophesy over you today and over my life and over our families and over Emmanuel Portadown that joy is coming into our lives. That though the pruning process has felt sore, that Jesus is saying, I am telling you this, that your joy may be complete, that his joy would be in you. It's a joy beyond ourselves. It's something we get from being in relationship with Jesus in his presence is fullness of joy. And when we turn over our idols and we lay down our lives before Jesus and we allow ourselves to be pruned, life is promised us beyond what life in this world can give us and joy will come to us that will just detonate our souls with the utter ecstasy of what it is to live in relationship with our Father. The Scriptures tell us that for the joy which was set before us, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus submitted himself to the process. Nobody was more pruned, in a sense, even though he was God and and no sin. Nobody submitted themselves to the process of obedience more than Jesus did. And even though he sweat great drops of blood, he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And the joy that was set before him was the joy that you and me would know of knowing him. His joy is our joy. And this is the point. This is the point of the thing, that we would know the sheer delight of being one with the Father and one with the Son, that we would become free in his love. And let me tell you, this joy is expansive It brings us into a broad and spacious place, into a wide open field. Strachan says it like this. It is a creative joy, like the joy of an artist. It produces a sense of unexhausted power for fresh creation. Unexhausted power for fresh creation. That's what's coming. Joy for fresh creation. I, as a leader and servant in this church, I can't wait to watch as some of you hang on in the pruning process, I can't wait to watch the unexhausted power of fresh creation, of new creation coming in and through your lives for the glory of God in our lives. Some of us, our joy tanks have been half full or maybe not even half full the last wee while. And I wanna pray today and I wanna speak to your heart. I feel that God wants to speak to your heart and say, these things I write to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. We ask you to come. We say thank you for your friendship. Help us to be fruitful. 
Help us to prepare ourselves and set our hearts towards a life of learning how to abide in you. Lord, while it's sore at times, we ask you to continue to prune so that we can produce even more fruit and that so we can know the joy of what it is to be whole and complete in you for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd love us to pray for you, please do phone our phone line. Or if you'd like us to talk to you more about Jesus, wherever you are in that journey, we'd love to do that. Lord bless you and have a great day.